Hey everybody, welcome to JPD Weekly. So, uh, sorry we don't have the normal set set up, but uh, again, um, working on a new documentary, so all the stuff is set up where the desk usually goes. But that's okay. We can uh, we can deal with this. So, I wanted to talk about um, a couple of uh, parables of Jesus because I think it helps explain where we are today and where we're not yet. Uh, so a lot of people will look at the parables of Matthew 13 and uh, will say that that is describing the kingdom basically coming to coming to earth or, 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 or they'll use it as evidence that we're in the kingdom right now. Now, um, for those of you who know me and follow me, <clears throat> I'm a dispensationalist, premillennial, pre-trib rapture kind of guy. Um, when you look at these parables, I think that they actually lend a lot of support to the dispensationalist view. And I think what we're missing through these parables is context. So I wanted to start with Matthew 12 to actually see what the background context is of these parables. Uh, and then I wanted to go through at least, at least two today. Um, and we might do we might do more later. I think after you get the first two, you'll understand the rest. But um, but we'll we'll at least start with the first two, and then we'll see where time takes us. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> let's start in Matthew twelve, and I have Bible Gateway open over here. Um, so. We'll be reading over here, Matthew 12, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. All right, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, but it says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and he began to pluck heads of grain and, uh, to eat. And the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, this is interesting here, because what they're complaining about was never... What was something that was never meant to be for everybody, for every Jew. That was a priestly thing. But the Pharisees, one of the, one of the things they were doing is trying to ba basically um, go out of their way to fulfill the, you know, you'll go out to the world, be priests and kings. And, you know, they were trying to fulfill that outside of um, God's timing and God's wishes. And so they put the priestly law onto everybody, or at least they were trying to. They were trying to put the priestly law onto everybody. So there are times where, you know, for the priests, you're not supposed to do certain things. You know, you, you got to wash your hands or, you know, you can't, um, if you're a priest on the Sabbath and you're supposed to be doing certain duties, you know, there, there's just some things you can't do. This is, this is where the whole, you know, if you're, um, if, if you have an animal that, goes off, you know, you, you know, you're going to go get it. You're, you're, you're going to go get it if it's a Sabbath or not. But, um, the problem here was the Pharisees were trying to put the priestly code onto everybody. And that, uh, when you read through the Torah, that's not at all what God originally intended. So that's what the Pharisees were trying to do. That adds a little bit of context to understand why Jesus responds the way he does and why it actually wasn't sinful at all. Uh, the, the, the Pharisees were adding extra rules to people uh, who weren't even priests anyway. They were trying to put everybody under that law so everybody could be holy enough to fulfill that that prophecy. 
Oh, and actually, I wrote a little bit about this in a book that I have coming out called uh, The Lost Prophecies of Qumran. So if you want some information kind of not only on the Pharisees and Sadducees, but also the Essenes at that time, what they believed in, what the Dead Sea Scrolls say, uh, what what their history is, what prophecies they hold, all that kind of stuff. Um, Lost Prophecies of Qumran is a book I just put out. So uh, by the time that this is airing, I'm not sure if it's going to be out yet. If not, though... Just keep your eyes on Skywatch TV. It'll be out soon. Um, I also just recorded uh, four episodes of Skywatch TV with Dr. Ken Johnson on the same topic. He's got a, a new uh, sort of compilation book coming out, so make sure you keep your eyes on that. All right. Uh, continuing on. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> it says, uh, but he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. See right there, the priests. Or have you not read in the law on the Sabbath, uh, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you, uh, yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even to the Sabbath. Um, so. Here's the healing on the Sabbath. So the whole the whole context here, when you read through the Gospels, th- this is the turning point. So when Jesus first arrives on the scene, he is the Messiah to Israel. Uh, he is w- what that prophecy, it, how it's supposed to be fulfilled. Um, original, well, I don't even want to say originally. The way that things ended up <laughs> was always the plan. That's plan A, you know? Okay, so there was never a plan B. And sometimes we get um, we get insulted because, uh, or, or people try to insult us because they say that we believe we're teaching like plan B, like God messed up and he had to do something else. All right, that's a straw man, obviously. That's not, no dispensationalist is saying it that way. Um, but what Jesus does is he will give people a chance knowing full well what they're going to do. Uh, just think of Adam and Eve in the garden. All right. Um, God did all that knowing that they were going to take of the tree and, and sin and, you know, rebel against him. So what is all of this just plan B then? Uh, did God mess up? You know, no, of course not. No one would say that. No, no, no actual Christian would say that. Right. Um, because a God that can mess up isn't God. So that was always the plan, yet because they sinned, there was a deviation from a course that could have existed, if that makes sense. Adam and Eve didn't have to sin. You know, they chose that. We have free will. Uh, that that's, that's the only way that true love can be a real thing, is if it's done freely by choice. So if we're actually going to love and serve God, we can't be forced into it. We have to make that choice ourselves. So they they had a choice. They rebelled. God knew that they were going to do that. And God still loved them so much that he provided a way for them to be reconciled back to God. So um, now that was always to be done <coughs> through Israel, still will be. Uh, and when the Messiah came, when Jesus came, it was a fulfillment of that. It was it was basically, this is how we're going to bring the kingdom on earth. This is how, th- th- this is... Uh, the path that can be taken on how we can bring the kingdom. Now, God always knew that Jesus was going to be rejected. Obviously, He always knew that there, there were, there were, there, there's plenty of uh, 
prophecies in Isaiah, you, you know, in, in like the, the Old Testament talking about uh, how the Messiah would be rejected. So that the Messiah being rejected was always plan A. <laughs> All right. I just want to make that really clear because um, if you go down this line of study, you're going to get a lot of pushback. And you're going to get a lot of people telling you you're wrong and you're stupid and uh, all that stuff. Um, so it helps to have the context to know what's going on. So Jesus was always supposed to come and he was going to offer the kingdom to, to Israel and basically say, hey, Israel, you know, we can fulfill this prophecy now, but you got to do it my way. You know, because again, Jesus is God in the flesh. So it's God saying, you, you got to do it this way, my way. And um, they could have set up. Jesus is king or, you know, who knows how all of that would have played out. You know, it, it almost doesn't matter because that's not reality. That's not what happened. Um, but that is a path that could have been taken. It, it's a, it's a, just like Adam and Eve, uh, they could have not sinned, you know, no, nobody forced them to sin. So it's the same kind of thing. Nobody forced Israel to reject uh, Jesus. And, and, you know, we get so used to, in our church age, we get so used to having a personal relationship with Jesus. We forget that Israel kind of had like a national, um, relationship with God almost. And when, when Jesus came, it was, it was for Israel, but Israel nationally, uh, rejected Jesus. And that's where all the trouble comes in. Now in individuals, some individuals accepted Jesus, obviously we have the apostles and, uh, uh, you, you know, we have people around in that area, that accepted him, but nationally, Israel has never accepted Jesus as Messiah. Now, Israel will in the future. It's a future thing. Um, but so Matthew 12 is the is a description of the, the rejection of national Israel, the rejection of the Messiah, the rejection of the is the Israel's leadership, their leadership at the time rejecting Messiah, and what that now means. So instead of the kingdom coming during the time of Jesus, uh, if they would have accepted him, well, now we're going to do this church age thing, which was always the plan anyway, uh, but it hadn't been revealed yet. So, <clears throat> so that's, that's kind of some of the context. So having that background, we're going to read through um, the rest of Matthew 12, and then we're going to get into the, the parables in the following chapter. So let's continue on. Healing on the Sabbath. Um, now, when he had departed from there and went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to hear on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep? Oh, here, here's what we were talking about before. Who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value, then, is a man than sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. And the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how, he might, how they might destroy him. So that's another one of those things, those, those priestly things, you know. And, and he's saying here, look, who has one sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath uh, would not lift it out. So apparently that's something that would do, they would do. Uh, it's interesting, too, because even in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there are places where it says that... Um, it's unlawful to do this exact thing to, to like, it even says that in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I, I remember when I first read that, I was like, that, that sounds like a Pharisee thing. What is that? Well, it wasn't that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they weren't applying that to everybody. That was only 
for priests. That that specific rule was only for priests. So you do see some of that, but uh, they didn't try to put it on everybody. So it's not that the Pharisees were doing this stuff. It's it's that they were extending it out from the priesthood and trying to impose it on uh, everybody, like every Jew, which that is incredibly sinful. And they thought that they could do this better than Jesus, which is why they end up rejecting uh, Jesus. They, they don't agree with Jesus' way of doing things. Um, and so... They're going to reject him thinking they can do a better job. And we know historically that obviously did not happen. They did not do a better job. They, they, were, they were destroyed. Um, continuing on. <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> but when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. And yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant who I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Well, we certainly have that uh, today, but so this was this was the original like th- th- this this is the original plan. So it was it was always known that the Messiah would be rejected but but look look what it says here. It says that he he will declare justice to the Gentiles uh, in his name Gentiles will trust. Well G- Jesus was taking that on himself and the Pharisees wanted that job. The Pharisees wanted to be the ones to uh s- spread the kingdom uh, across the world. And they had a bunch of weird interpretations of stuff like that. So um, so that's where we get to the rejection itself. And this, this, this is all about Israel and the, um, the transition from the age of Torah to the age of grace, which is what we're in now. Uh, so let's continue on. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Uh, you know, the Messiah. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, or, you know, just Satan is fine. Um, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against against itself is brought to desolation. That That's talking about Israel. Um, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And that's exactly what happened because they were divided. There were people who followed Messiah, people who followed Jesus and people who didn't. Um, the the ones who followed Messiah went out and preached the gospel to uh, the earth, while the the rest stayed behind. And um, seventy A.D. the temple was destroyed, and it was a big disaster. And and it, it, this exactly came true. You know, the kingdom divided against itself did not stand. So it says, if Satan casts out Satan. He's divided against against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me and who does not gather with me scatters abroad. <clears throat> excuse me 
Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, uh, either in this age nor the age to come. Okay, th- this age nor the age to come, he's talking about um, the age of Torah, and the age to come is the church age, the, the age of grace. Um, and a lot of people think that this was made up by, like, Darby or something, like that dispensationalism was, like, invented recently. That's completely untrue. When you read through the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were absolutely dispensationalists. I mean, they, they had, like, the way that they their whole calendar worked. Um, were were split up into ages. So there was a 2,000-year age of Torah, and then right at this point, um, in in this time of history, the the switch happened to the next dispensation of the Age of Grace. And this is the story of that transition, how that came to be. Now, according to the Essene calendar, if we understand it correctly, the actual beginning of the next age happened in 75 A.D., uh, so this that would have been 50-so years after this, uh, a little bit less than that. But um, but th- this is how the transition starts. So there's not like an exact like day where, you know, I mean, there, there, there is. But when you, when you think about like events, the events are the things that really uh, show what age you're in, what's going on. So it's not like, you know, December 2nd. AD 75 is exactly when the next age, you know, it wasn't predicted like that. It was just like when this and this and this happens, then this will be the the case. Um, We can look back and we might be able to put an exact date on it now if we had the historical records to do that. But um, by looking at the events that happened, but but in that sense, an exact date doesn't really matter because that's not the point. The point is that it happened. There was a transition. We are in a new age now. And by the way, if ages are 2,000 years long, uh, if the Essenes are correct about that, if the Dead Sea Scroll calendar is correct about that, we're we're coming up at, at the uh, end of our 2,000 years. So, you know, we'll see. Not setting dates, but it's just something interesting to think about. So th- this is that whole story of how that transition happened, why it didn't just go immediately into the kingdom. I mean, isn't that what the Messiah was supposed to do? Uh, what, why doesn't it happen? Again, it's because men have free will. Human beings have free will. And they rejected the Messiah. So, um, uh, so let's continue on here. It says a tree is known by its fruit. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bring forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure. Uh, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Okay. So the scribes and Pharisees ask for a sign. Uh, and they, they, you know, Jesus says that he's not going to give them. So, you know, we'll just read through it. So uh, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah, of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. 
The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So he's explaining how bad the, the Pharisees' sin uh, of rejecting Jesus, how serious of a, of a sin that is. It is an eternally damnable sin. <clears throat> 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man... He goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. And that is exactly what happened with that wicked generation. Um, the, the last state of that generation, you know, around 70 AD was far worse than the first state. So, uh, and, and you could even think of, uh, Israel just as a whole, you know, the, the way that Israel started out, uh, with Moses was, was relatively good. There's always been problems, you know, because we are human beings after all, but the last state of Israel was far worse. And even more, you could even think of that prophetically because we know that uh, Israel still has seven years left on its timetable. Ta- time and that is going to be the absolute worst of it. The The last state of Israel is far worse uh, than the first. So you could even think of that prophetically. But I think mainly he's talking about, because he says right here, this wicked generation. So he's talking about that time. Um, okay. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. All right. So he's, he's talking in family terms here saying that, you know, this is, this is a lot more than just, I tell you what to do and you do it. This is a, a family I'm inviting you into. Uh, so, and that, that's the kind of a family thing that the Pharisees rejected, which is what started the whole problem. So immediately after this, immediately after this rejection, this national rejection, because again, these are the leaders of Israel. They are rejecting their Messiah that was promised. Uh, it happens in Matthew 12. That's when that rejection actually happens. That's that's Because that's when it's like blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's when it's like, all right, clearly nothing I can do is going to make you believe. So now we're going to, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to know that that's not happening, you know, that, that you're not going to accept the Messiah. So we're going to do what was always planned in the first place. We're going to do this church thing. Now, nobody knew about the church yet. Because, <clears throat> again, if they did, that would be in violation of Ephesians 3. Oh, and another interesting thing, too, is when you read through the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, you get allusions to things, just like in the Old Testament. You get, like, allusions, but you don't get, like, the the church. You, you don't get you, you don't get described... Um, Gentiles entering into the 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 promises of the Jews as being heirs as being heirs and that that's a really important part of it that's that's what Ephesians 3 is all about that um no one knew that the Gentiles would would be would be able to be seen as fellow heirs to to these things so nobody knew that um and Dead Sea Scrolls didn't know that um the Bible didn't know that you know no nobody knew that um now it is strange because the they they had hints of it just like there's hints of it in the Old Testament there's there's hints of it there's hints of it in the Dead Sea Scrolls too 
you know, it talks about like synagogues of the Gentiles and stuff. And, you know, just, just how in, um, Matthew 12, it said that the Gentiles will, you know, believe the Messiah and stuff. Well, um, sure that could happen if the kingdom came or it could happen if this church age thing occurred. So, you know, I think most people, because nobody saw, foresaw the, the church except Jesus, obviously, but, um, nobody foresaw it. So I think that everybody reading those prophecies assumed that it would have to do with the kingdom. Um, but there's kind of a pre-kingdom age. There's there's the church age, which is a different dispensation. It's a different deal all on its own, and that's that's what we're in right now. So with that context, we can look at the parables because the next thing, and it's actually on the same day as we learn, the same day that this happened, right after, uh, Jesus starts telling all these parables. And he's explaining what's happening now, what the next age is going to look like, and how it's not going to be as good as it would have been had they accepted their Messiah and they could have just, you know, instilled the kingdom at that point. Um, you know, of course, God always knew that that rejection was going to happen. So uh, that's why we're doing the, the church age thing. But um, but uh, so now now it's time for Jesus to start explaining what the next age is going to look like, what, what it's going to be like. And he doesn't just come out and say it because again, the, these uh, imagine yourself uh, as a Jew living at this time and you, you read the scriptures, you believe all of it. You believe the Messiah. You don't believe the silly Pharisees and Sadducees. Like you're, let's say you're maybe in a scene or something and you're, you're wait, you're waiting for the Messiah. And then he finally comes and you believe him and you spend uh, a lot of time with him. You get to know him personally and you're looking forward to him bringing the kingdom. You know, people ask, well, what, why, uh, why doesn't Jesus just just say, "Hey, we're not doing the kingdom; it's the church now"? Um, can you imagine how devastating that would have been uh, to to hear that? I mean, he he lets him down a little more gently. That's why he starts talking with these parables to kind of explain things, uh, explain what's going on. So when the ball finally does drop, it'll make sense, and they have this whole foundation of teachings to to understand it and to navigate the next you know two thousand years or so. Uh, so that's the context. Now we can go on to, uh, let's start with the parable of the sower. And you'll see how these are not talking about, you know, this is what we must do now to bring in the, bring in the kingdom. And, um, that, that's a big teaching nowadays that the, this kingdom out now stuff, <clears throat> it's not right. It's wrong. Everybody who's tried to do it through the past 2000 years, always, I mean, the dark ages. I mean, it, it, the problem is we're still fallible human beings and we're not going to have perfect theology as perfect as we think our theology is. It's not going to be perfect. And because it's not perfect, if we try to instill that onto everybody, um, it just, it, it's just that same sin that, that the, the same Pharisee sin of trying to impose all this stuff and not just letting God do what God is going to do and just listening to God. We're never commanded to bring the kingdom into this age now. That's a future thing when Jesus returns. Now, we are commanded to do things. You know, we got to take care of the world and take care of each other and love each other and spread the gospel. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that um, adding on to that, we now also have to bring in the, 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 the actual kingdom. The whole process of how the kingdom comes is, is all laid out in Revelation. That That is the process of how Jesus returns to set up the kingdom on earth. So we already know that. Um, so right now, this is Jesus talking about, basically, you know, he, he's been rejected. Um, 
Israel, national Israel is not going to set up Jesus as king or Messiah or anything like that. They're not going to recognize him. Um, they think that he's possessed by Satan, which is like the ultimate blasphemy. I mean, that's how, how do you get worse than that? Um, so, so he's, he's trying to explain to, um, his friends now, well, what's going to happen? So Matthew 13 picks up right where we left off from Matthew 12. And that's why I wanted to read Matthew 12 first. Uh, so it says, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. A great multitude were gathered together to him so that he got in a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Um, and he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. So here, here's the first parable. A sower went out to sow. That's, that's you know, planting in a field. Um, as he sowed, as he was like dropping seeds, trying to plant this plant seeds, some seeds uh, fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devour, devoured them. So, and I, because of another parable that comes up a little later, um, would would we say that these birds are good? Because like Jesus, God's not the author of confusion. So when when Jesus tells like a bunch of parables in a row like this, we can assume that the analogies, the, 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 the characters in these parables, that they're going to represent the same kinds of things. And, and you get this biblically too. So like birds, well, let's, let's read, we'll talk more about it, but let's, let's read the rest of it first. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some 60, some 30. Who has ears to hear? Let him hear. Um, and, you know, the disciples even come to ask him, why do you speak to them in parables? That's verse 10. And he said, he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance, but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Um, so uh, that also that also adds, to, you know, explains the, the parables thing. Like why specifically parables? Why not just come out and, and, and say it? Um, there's, there's always these mixed crowds too. There's always, you know, Pharisees and Sadducees around. So Jesus would talk to talk to people like this uh, for one thing, it's, it's sort of a mercy on the Pharisees. Uh, if, if you, if Jesus were to just speak directly and just say, um, you know, say what, whatever, well, then that would just be adding more judgment against the, the Pharisees. Cause they're already not going to believe it. Uh, and 
if he's if, if Jesus says it plainly, then you know they're they're gonna they're gonna know what he's saying, but they're not gonna believe it. So parables they they can just ignore it, not pay attention to it, and um, then Jesus' true followers actually will and they'll want to know. I mean, it, it's a way to kind of separate his audience here. Um, and then Jesus goes on to explain the parable of the sower. So let's look at Jesus's explanation, and then I want to say some some things about it. Uh, so up here. Verse 18, therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seeds by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word immediately he stumbles now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and become unfruitful but he who received seed on the ground uh, on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold some 60 some 30 okay and then later we're going to get to the parable of the wheat and the tares but um so I want to go through some things here. First, nothing in here says anything about bringing the kingdom in. And and the only thing that people can really point to is because he says the word of the kingdom. That's the word of the kingdom and the kingdom. Like, would you say the word of God and God are two different things? Like if we're, it depends on context, of course. Uh, if we're, if we're talking about word of God in the way that you know, John uses it, the logos, well, that's something different. But, you know, a lot of times when us as 21st century Christians say the word of God, we're talking about the Bible. And we would not look at a physical book and say that that is God. But there's a, there's obviously a relation there. So the kingdom is more of an inheritance. It's, it's, it's what our inheritance is. And that, that's, that's the word, that's the promise that's, that's coming. So I want to, uh, I want to talk a little bit about this and get into some of the things that that we discussed uh, through that. Now, again, a lot of people say today, it's a really popular teaching, that the parable of the sower teaches kingdom now theology, that the kingdom is coming onto earth now and it's it's here and it's in us and we need to spread that out. Uh, and there was a time I... I sort of believed some of that too but that's not the point the point is to bring people in to the inheritance to, to make more brothers and sisters uh, that's what all the family language is about because the kingdom is an inheritance it's when the right time is when the right time comes we get to inherit that that's the promise it's not here yet you know we're, we're not asking for our, our, our inheritance right now in our fallen state you know i mean it would be like th- think of the parable of the 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 um two sons you know one son basically goes off leaves and leaves leaves his inheritance behind uh, he parties it up for a while well imagine if um the dad would have given that son his inheritance early uh before he came back home you know that would have been disaster well that that would be like if if we're supposed to bring in the kingdom now or something in this fallen world with with all of these people that don't accept Jesus um and We've had, and people say, well, that's the point. We're going to bring in the kingdom so they will. Well, we've had 2,000 years. We've had 2,000 years with that. And, and look, I mean, 
I don't know. Are we stronger than they were in the first century as a church? I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. So I, I, I think that a more consistent interpretation is that these par- these parables are explaining the next age, the church, the church age, the next dispensation. What's going to happen now? Um, so the sower, he's preaching uh, the gospel, right, with various results. Um, I, I don't see how, and, and again, it's because people see that word of the kingdom and it trips them up. It just trips them up because they think of the kingdom as like this one thing and, and not as something that is like an inheritance that you're entering into with family. And, you know, we want to bring in other brothers and sisters as part of the family for this inheritance. Um, if this was about the kingdom and bringing the kingdom in, then, you know, the, the varying results don't tend to make sense because in verse three, we have the sower that went out to sow the word of the kingdom enters people's hearts in verse 19, but only one type of soil is actually fruitful. Excuse me. And that's uh, in verse 23. Um, and also, Satan is active in uh, verse 19. So, I want to read a quote. There's a really good book called uh, The Prophetic Parables of Matthew 13. It's it's an older book, but it's from A.W. Pink. Um and it, it's really brilliantly written. There, there's a couple of things in there that I'm not sh- totally sure about. Uh, like, okay, A.W. Pink makes a distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And so far, I don't know that there's a difference between the two. So far. If there is, I'll do a video on it. But um, I, I wasn't completely uh, convinced by A.W. Pink's arguments in the book. Although he brings up some good points. I, I'm just, I'm on the fence. I, I don't know about that one yet. Um, as of right now, I think the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, you know, that, that language, I think they're both the same thing. I think it's the same thing. Um, but, and also, uh, I, I think, if I remember right, I think A.W. Pink later on in his life got into some weird stuff that I wouldn't agree with. Not not like anything really bad, just just some just some interpretation theological interpretations that I don't know I would agree with. But besides that, it's it's a really it's a really good book. Again, we're, none of us are going to have perfect theology, so uh we need to just get it where we can and just know that not every teacher, myself included, not every teacher is going to have it perfectly right all the time. Um but anyway, so this is a quote he says, uh, and again, this is from the Prophetic Parables of Matthew 13, A.W. Pink. Um, you can find that on Amazon really cheap, by the way. But uh, it says, uh, he's quoted as saying, quote, The words went forth to sow, or as Mark's gospel puts it, went out, were indicative of the great dispensational change, which was soon to be introduced. There was no longer to be a planting of vines or fig trees in Israel, but a going out of the mercy of God unto the Gentiles. Therefore, what we have here is the broadcast sowing of the seed in the field at large, for as verse 38 tells us, the field is the world. Okay? Um... There's also a couple of uh, quotes here, too, that talk about. Okay. Yeah, all right. Um, that, that, that talk about this. So Isaiah 2, 2 and 3. 
uh, says, now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Does that sound like today? And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths for the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's the kingdom. That's a future thing. That's when Jesus comes back and establishes the kingdom on earth. Now, the only way to make that make that make sense with the kingdom now stuff that says the parables are about bringing the kingdom in today is you gotta you gotta totally allegorize that Isaiah two two and three. You gotta totally allegorize that and say, well, that is happening today. Um, they're metaphorically going up to the mountain of God in their hearts, or you know, it's it's got to be something like that, and that's that's usually what they do. By the way, the Pharisees did that too. It was called Oral Torah, and uh, it's what eventually became the Talmud and, and things like that. But um, they, they they had issues with that too. So that's not a that's not a mistake we want to we want to follow ourselves, or at least we want to try to avoid that as much as possible. Zechariah fourteen sixteen through eighteen says, "Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of Hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths." Does, again, does that sound like today? And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of Hosts, there will be no rain on them. If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. Now, that doesn't sound anything like today unless you allegorize that and you you twist it completely out of its original meaning. It's it's a prophetic verse. It's this is this is what it's like when the Messiah is ruling over the earth. This is this is what it's like, um, and we are not living in that time yet. Unless you want to allegorize this and just make up your own theology, in, in which case I, I, I personally would advise against calling that uh, biblical interpretation or, or, or saying that it's like so obvious anybody can see it. Um, again, we're all, we're all going to have to answer for things that we say. Um, we also hear that the word of the kingdom enters people's hearts. So Matthew uh, thirteen nineteen says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. So um, A.W. Pink has another quote. Uh, in verse 19, it is called the word of the kingdom, while in verse 38 we read, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. Like produces like. The word of the kingdom produces sons of the kingdom. The fruit is according to the seed. Okay, so it's not because uh, we have language later that talks about sons of the kingdom and stuff. It's an heirship. You know, um, we're, we're heirs. Uh, we're, we're heirs to the kingdom. So that's why we're children of the kingdom. Uh, Matthew thirteen thirty eight again, says, and the field is the world, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one. Uh, so that that one is um, something we're going to look at a little later, but we, we get the same imagery in the other parables. So, you know, the, the, the field is the world. And that's important to notice, too. Um, now, about about the 
sons and heirs and all that stuff. Galatians 4, 7 says, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Um, there's another quote I wanted to share uh, from Stanley Toussaint and J.A. Quine from uh, No, Not Yet, The Contingency of God's Promised Kingdom. And you can get this at uh, Bibliotheca Sacra 164. It's April to June 2007 edition. Uh, and I believe it's page 140. Oh, by the way, if you want um, like a really good full teaching on all this uh dr andy woods has a youtube series called the coming to kingdom and actually here on daily renegade i've interviewed him on this topic before you can just go to uh if you're watching this at dailyrenegade.com just go to sharp the sharpening report and or you can search for andy woods or whatever you'll you'll find it on there but i've interviewed him specifically on this topic uh and we went through some of these parables together um okay We get more of this inheritance language uh, later on. Matthew 25, 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you in the foundation of the world. Okay, so if the kingdom was already brought in, uh, they, they would, they, the, the decision would have already been made if they were in the kingdom or not. You know, you, you, you either are or you aren't if the kingdom is on earth, right? But th this one... They're, they, if if he's saying inherit, come and inherit the kingdom. Now is the time to come inherit the kingdom, and this is like at the this is like way later, uh, in the future. Then obviously the kingdom has not been inherited yet. So it's it's our inheritance that we haven't inherited yet because it's not time for that. Uh, ju just like if if you have a grandparent and and they they write you in their will. Well, you have an inheritance, but it's not time for it yet. You know the inheritance exists. It's just not with you at, at that moment. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like that. We also learned that only one type of uh, soil is fruitful. And even on that fruitful soil, it's only going to be, you know, some people will be able to do it hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So there's like a, a decline there. Yet Isaiah 11, 9, speaking about the kingdom says, they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So that's the kingdom. Does that sound like there are three out of four types of soil out there that will not accept this, this, this kingdom, even though it's like honor, like that, those two things, those two ideas don't go together. Now, what does go together is if we're in a church age, we're supposed to be pretty, uh, presenting the gospel to people. We're go, we're to go out and, uh, a lot of people are going to reject it, but you might, you might get a few that actually accept it. But even then some, some people are going to be able to, you know, get a hundred people saved. Some people might only be able to get a couple people saved. Um, so, that is more consistent because Isaiah eleven nine says the whole earth for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Now there are people that will try and say that that describes today and I would disagree. Now there's, you know, there's widespread knowledge of Christianity generally, but not acceptance. So when we think about the kingdom and how it's prophesied, Everybody's going to know who Jesus is because he's going to be there ruling. And if if somebody, uh, if a nation decides to not do what he says, then they don't get rain. And, you know, there's there's all this stuff. That it, it's just not the way the world functions today. And the only way that this makes sense 
is if there's a uh, a set of dispensational you know times where things are different than they were before what doesn't make sense is that everything's the same all the time and we need to allegorize this to make it fit that doesn't make sense here's another uh quote from aw pink about this specific verse uh he says quote in other words we are shown what the results of this broadcast sowing of the seed would be first of all most of the ground upon which it fell would prove unfavorable the hard shallow and thorny soils were uncongenial to productiveness second external opposition would be encountered the birds of the air will come and catch it away Third, the sun would scorch, and that which was lacking in moisture at its roots would wither away. Only a fractional part of the seed sown would yield any increase, and thus all expectations for the ultimate universal triumph of the gospel were removed. I'm going to read that line again. Only a fractional part of the seed sown would yield any increase, and thus all expectations for the ultimate universal triumph of the gospel were removed. The plain teaching of our present parable should at once dissipate the optimistic but vain dreams of post-millenarians, post-millennial people. But instead of that, the Lord himself has plainly warned us that instead of the fruitage from the gospel showing an increase, there would be a marked decrease. For when speaking of the fruit born, he said, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So not, you know, it's it's not like we plan it and it it just grows and spreads. You know, that can happen, but usually what happens is people reject it. You might get a few people that, that... really respond to it but then again even if you do even if you get a hundred of that hundred how many are the birds going to come take away how many are the sun going to scorch you know how many are actually going to stick with it and and actually be truly truly converted Uh, a lot of people end up falling away um and then also what we looked at before matthew 13 19 uh, satan is is active now, we know in the kingdom, Satan is not active because he's bound in the abyss for a thousand years. And that's the point of the kingdom. It's, it's, a, it's a Sabbath. Uh, it's like a long thousand-year Sabbath rest after 6,000 years before it, if you believe in the um, Essene Dead Sea Scroll calendar stuff. Um, but even if you don't, that's totally fine. It, it doesn't really change the, the, the topic here. But it says, uh, Matthew thirteen nineteen says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Revelation 21 through 3 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon and the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Oh, okay. And then we, so that, that's talking about what the transition from our age into the kingdom will be like. That That's one aspect of it. Satan isn't going to be present. Uh, he'll be present at the very end when he's let loose, but that's transitioning into the eternal state. That's getting ready for judgment. That's another transition period. So you see a lot of these transition uh, periods. Uh, Well, we do have a lot more to talk about, but first I have to tell you about Cornerstone Asset Metals. Uh, Concerning the economically unstable times that we live in, it is a great idea to convert some of your savings into real money. 
Now there's a big difference between what we call real money, which actually is currency. So our dollar is currency, which fluctuates. Real money, like silver, is a store of value over time. So the best way to think of it is like this. If you had saved $1,000 in cash uh, back from the late 1960s, that $1,000 would, would still be $1,000, but it would buy you significantly less today due to inflation. But if you saved that same $1,000 in silver, back in the 60s, it would be around $28,000 today, which is amazing. One of the best ways to protect your purchasing power is in real money, more specifically silver. You can buy and have the metal shipped discreetly to your door, and what most people don't know is that you can actually convert your IRA or even a 401k into physical silver rather than having all your life savings tied up in the paper fiat system, which is subject to hyperinflation. Go to dailyrenegade.com and click on the Cornerstone Asset Metals banner and sign up to get your free silver report. One of the financial experts will speak with you and find out the best way to protect your savings going forward in these uncertain times. You will find that under that banner, you will find a free episode, a free full episode of the Sharpening Report uh, with Terry Saka um, from Cornerstone. And we, we talk about about their ministry, about you know what, what they do for people with silver and helping people protect against um, hyperinflation and, and the paper fiat system and you know basically the beast system that we're all wrapped up in. Uh, this this the, the cornerstone uh, is is helping people get free of that. And uh, they're they're Christian. You can see their testimony in that video. Fantastic people, and it's it's literally the only company that I personally trust uh, with my silver. So. Um, again, head on over to dailyrenegade.com, click on that banner. You can watch that free episode of The Sharpening Report to get more information and uh, let them know that you you heard about them through us. Yeah, I think I think we're going to do I, – I think I want to talk about the wheat and the tares, but we're going to do that in members only. So if you haven't had a chance to already, head on over to dailyrenegade.com. Get a membership today. It's only $10 a month or $100 a year. I highly suggest getting the $100 a year uh, because it's technically cheaper in the long run. Instead of paying $120, you're paying $100. You just got to do it once. You don't have to think about it for a whole year. It's a great deal. And then you have full access to everything we provide at Daily Renegade. It's not just this show, uh, and it's not just me. Uh, we have other other amazing hosts like Gary Wayne, author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy. He hosts a show with us. Uh, and there's lots more stuff. You can go to dailyrenegade.com. You can check it out. Even on the home page we have a couple of free episodes if you want to check those out uh it'd be a good thing to do and but yeah so if you are a member hang on the line we got a lot more to talk about everybody else thank you so much for joining us and until next time love you all take care and god bless